Welcome to this peer voice activity on systemic lupus erythematosus. This activity comprises a series of six streaming episodes with Professor Ronald van Vollenhoven. At any time during this presentation, you may download supporting materials and share this activity with colleagues. Hello, I'm Ronald van Vollenhoven. I'm a professor of rheumatology and the chair of the Department of Rheumatology and Clinical Immunology at the Amsterdam University Medical Centers in Amsterdam, Netherlands. Now, some very exciting developments have been taking place over the past few years uh, when it comes to the management of systemic lupus erythematosus. And in this series of six uh, short episodes, I'd like to walk you through some of the key developments that have occurred and using the EULAR recommendations for the management of SLE as our guidance. And so here I would like to welcome you to this first episode where I'm going to discuss the latest recommendations on the use of hydroxychloroquine. Now, just by way of uh, introduction, I could say that the EULAR recommendations were updated in 2023 because it was felt that so many things had happened when it comes to the possibilities of assessing and treating patients with lupus most optimally. And of course, the idea is that by using these recommendations, we will be able to achieve better results for our patients with lupus. A typical patient with lupus could be a 35-year-old woman who has been diagnosed with this disease not too long ago, six months have gone by. She had suffered from arthritis and pleurisy, alopecia, and she was given hydroxychloroquine and prednisolone. And the dosages are of interest because they are actually in the EULAR recommendations. She was given 300 milligrams of hydroxychloroquine a day and 10 milligrams of prednisone. Now, you can say, why would you give 300 milligrams of hydroxychloroquine? The recommendation is five milligrams per kilogram. And that's based on some interesting studies that show that if you give less, then the risk of a flare for the patient will increase. So five milligram is really better efficacy. But if you give more, you don't get better efficacy, but you do get more toxicity. And of course, the main toxicity that we are concerned about, but which is very rare, is retinal toxicity, especially with very long-term use. So five milligram per kilogram body weight, that's the real body weight, is the recommended dosage for hydroxychloroquine. When you first start, you can give a little bit more because it's sort of like a loading dose. And then uh, it could be up to 400 milligrams a day. So giving 400 milligrams a day for three months and then going to uh, 300 milligrams a day for a person who is 60 kilograms would be the right recommended dosage. Now, when you treat patients long-term, there's always the question, are they taking the medications uh, as they should? And that has been studied for hydroxychloroquine and overall compliance or uh, taking the treatment as directed has not been so good in series. So it is possible to, to have a measurement done of the level in the blood. And that can help, but only if you then also have this discussion with the patient and, and a dialogue about the reasons. And it's, it's a very important part of the patient-physician interaction around this medication. Um, and so the, the recommendation is that we can, yes, we can use these blood levels, but it has to be done in the right kind of setting and then it can help. So those are some of the latest insights into 
the treatment of lupus with hydroxychloroquine. Thank you for watching this. And please join us uh, in the next episode where I'm going to discuss the updated EULA recommendations for the use of glucocorticoids in the management of SLE. Hello, I'm Ronald van Vollenhoven, and in this episode I will address the updated EULA recommendations for the use of glucocorticoids in the management of patients with lupus. Now, uh, there is no management of systemic lupus erythematosus without the use of glucocorticoids for the simple reason that they are very effective and very rapidly effective. But we all know that the big problem is that they cannot be relied upon for long-term management because of the increasing risk of toxicities and uh, all kinds of side effects. So if you think first in terms of what's a good maintenance level of glucocorticoids, it turns out that the 2019 EULA recommendations suggested that the maximum maintenance treatment could be 7.5 milligrams a day. But now the EULA recommendations that came out in 2023 actually say five milligrams per day. And why is that? Well, it's really based on uh, several studies that have shown that even if you go from five to 7.5 milligrams a day, you do see an increase in the long-term downsides, long-term risks of glucocorticoid treatment with patients having a higher risk of cardiovascular complications, infections, also, of course, osteoporosis and, and several other known complications of glucocorticoid use. The other question is, how do you treat when the patient is really in dire straits? They're having a very severe organ manifestation, uh, life-threatening perhaps, and then the use of methylprednisolone in intravenous pulses is recommended. And this is based also on literature with some randomized studies showing clear efficacy gains, but also a lot about actual practical experience. And here the dosage is actually a range because the most commonly advised dosage uh, that was reported in the literature over the many, many decades is a thousand milligrams a day for three days. But there are many who feel that that's really a lot and that it's possible to use a lower dosage, somewhere between 125 milligram up to indeed a thousand milligrams once daily for three days, and that still benefits from the uh, so-called extragenomic effects of the glucocorticoids. So uh, they work in two different ways, uh, on the cells, on the cells of the immune system, and with these higher dosages, you get an extra benefit. But that's also very short-term, of course. Then the glucocorticoids can also be used as bridging therapy. When you start a slower-acting agent, you need some time with glucocorticoids to bridge that period until the efficacy. But of course, in the end, if all things are said and done, then you really would like to be able to say that you can manage the patient without uh, glucocorticoids uh, for the long-term future. And that's because of all the side effects. I already mentioned some. In addition, there are these very um, specific side effects, such as avascular necrosis, also cataracts, glaucoma. And with glucocorticoids, people can also have um, psychiatric adverse events that can really be the use and be very important from the patient's perspective. So we still are using glucocorticoids, but feel that the constraints are becoming more clear and EULAR recommendations will help us use them in the optimal way. So thank you very much for watching this episode. And please uh, join us at the next episode where I will discuss the updated EULAR recommendations regarding achieving earlier remission in lupus and the role of conventional treatments and biologics. 
Hello, I'm Ronald van Vollenhoven, and in this episode I will address the updated EULAR recommendations that have to do with the role that conventional treatments and biologicals can play to achieve remission in lupus earlier. Now, a patient who has lupus may have a quiescent course, but unfortunately for many it's not so easy. They have been treated appropriately with hydroxychloroquine, as we were discussing in an earlier episode, and with glucocorticoids, as we also discussed, and you try to choose the right dosage and you hope it will be sufficient. But for this patient, uh, the dosage of hydroxychloroquine was the right one. And glucocorticoids, the prednisone was given at 10 milligrams a day, which is a bit more than we would recommend. And still she is not doing so well. So now what do we do? And the question is, do we use one of the conventional agents that have been used for many years or decades or the biologicals, what is the recommendation? So what Euler now says is that, yes, you can consider the conventional medications. That is for most patients that would be methotrexate, azathioprine, or mycophenolate, MMF. And they have been tested and tried and true in the past and can be very effective for some patients and less so for others. They also each carry some of the potential risks and side effects. The biologicals, there are now two biologicals approved for the treatment of a patient with lupus in this particular situation that I outlined, belimumab and nanofrolumab. They can be effective in treating the patients with diseases of the skin and the joints, also some of the other manifestations. They are not recommended for severe disease of the central nervous system and for severe nephritis, uh, special recommendations do actually apply. Now, we would like to know for each individual patient, which one of these options should we choose? It's unfortunately not yet possible to choose based on a biomarker or a very specific indicator. So we have to really rely on our clinical judgment. For the patient that I presented, we ended up choosing methotrexate. For her, the joint manifestations were very significant and methotrexate, of course, has the wide applicability for patients with other forms of arthritis. Methotrexate was also relatively easy treatment for her being oral and once weekly. It comes with some risks and possible side effects, but we felt these were surmountable. And um, there was no issue with a pregnancy wish for her in that stage of her life. But for other patients, other considerations might apply and the other options could be considered indeed. So thank you very much for watching this episode and please join me at the next episode uh, where I will discuss how the biologicals fit into a treatment paradigm for lupus based on treating to target. Hello, I'm Ronald van Vollenhoven and in this episode I will discuss the use of treating to target in the management of lupus. Treating to target is a concept that is quite widespread in medicine and in rheumatology. And what it really means is that at the individual patient, patient basis, you choose a target, something that you want to achieve for that patient. It can be individualized, of course, but it has to be clear. And then some intervention has to be done to try to achieve it. And then, and this is very important, it also has to be assessed after an appropriate time interval. Could be three months, could be six months. But at some point you have to look back and say, did we achieve the target? And if not, then of course, one would have to take other steps to try to achieve it. 
So it's an iterative process because if you didn't achieve it, you go back to the beginning. And that's where sometimes we don't do it in practice if we don't really pay attention to it. Because if the patient says, no, I didn't achieve a remission, if that was the target, or low disease activity, if that was the target, we may feel that, okay, well, let's give it more time and wait. Um, but if we had decided that that wasn't the right step, then we should really also follow through on it. And treating the target can give better results. And now, of course, we also have more treatment options and that makes it possible to implement this treatment strategy. So if you look at the EULA recommendations from 2019, the previous ones and the current ones published in 2023, then you will see that the role for the biologicals has expanded. Of course, in 2019, there was only one approved biological, belimumab. And now in 2023, there are two, belimumab and anifrolumab. But also Euler says they can be considered in a bigger range in more clinical situations. It is now, according to Euler, reasonable based on medical evidence and the results from trials and other studies to consider belimumab and anifrolumab for patients even with mild disease, but as a second line treatment or for the patients with moderate disease, or even for some patients with severe disease. Uh, although I should add that for severe renal and neuropsychiatric disease, anifrolumab is not approved and belimumab is not recommended for severe neuro neuropsychological disease. And for nephritis, it has a separate approval that comes in at a slightly different point in treatment. And um, for, for all these patient profiles, the biologicals can be considered, but it has to fit into a strategy that, as I said, would have to be based on treating to target and also looking at the individual patient situation. And for, um, for now, we cannot really tell how to know which patient benefits the most from one biological or from the other. We do know that the two biologicals have different mechanisms of action. So you expect it to make a difference at the patient level. But right now, these are still two very good treatment options that can be considered for many patients. So basically, what I would like you to remember is that we should be treating in order to achieve a target. Treating to target is a good approach. Remission is probably the target that we should try to achieve for most of our patients, although sometimes low disease activity is also appropriate. And the two biologicals that are now available are going to help us achieve that in more and more patients. So thank you very much for watching this episode. And please also join us at the next episode where I will discuss updated ULA recommendations for treating skin disease in lupus. Hello, I'm Ronald van Vollenhoven. And in this episode, I will discuss how to treat active skin disease in patients with systemic lupus erythematosus based on the recently updated recommendations by Euler. So this is a patient who is 29 years old. She's had lupus for 10 years, so a long time that she has been living with this disease. She's had skin involvement and joint involvement. She's been treated with hydroxychloroquine. She had an episode of nephritis, which made it that she had to be treated with MMF, but that has actually worked for the kidneys. And now she is still on hydroxychloroquine and the MMF, and she is on prednisolone. And for controlling her disease, she adjusts the dosage as we often do, but it's not going very well. She keeps on needing more prednisolone than we think is, is good. Right now, for example, she's on 15 milligrams a day, 
And that is really a dosage that can give a lot of side effects and long-term consequences. So for her, those are already noticeable. She's experiencing insomnia. She has these weight gains issues, the, the mood fluctuations. And a DEXA scan has shown that she actually has osteopenia. And despite these treatments, the ones that she has long-term, she's still experiencing flares of the joint, but also of the skin two to three times a year. And because the skin in her case was a very major manifestation and caused a lot of discomfort and also cosmetic concern, there was the question, what is the best treatment when we just focus now for a moment on the skin? And there are of course, a, a number of options specifically for that organ system topical treatments, but they tend to not be very effective in lupus, the anti-malarials which she is on. And then of course, now the new treatments, belimumab and anaphrolumab, besides having some conventional immunosuppressives uh, of which she already has one, MMF. So what's interesting about the biologicals is that in the clinical trials with belimumab and with anaphrolumab, patients with cutaneous lupus made up quite a large proportion of patients in those trials. And when they were analyzed separately, it was also clear that they benefited from those biological treatments. So those are certainly very important considerations for this patient group. In addition for the skin, there are some a bit less commonly used options that are still available, such as the older agent Dapsone, perhaps the use of uh, calcineurin inhibitors. It could also be considered that there have been trials with thalidomide and the derivative lenalidomide. But here's the thing that those are options that can only be used in very, very specific settings. And of course, with great consideration of the potential risks for those drugs. So I think that increasingly we will see that the cutaneous manifestations, the skin manifestations of lupus can be treated effectively by using all these different options. And I do believe that the biologicals will play an increasingly big role in managing patients with cutaneous manifestations of SLE. So thank you very much for uh, watching this episode. And please also join us for the next and the final episode in this series, where I will discuss the ULAR recommendations for treating patients with severe and refractory disease. Hello, I'm Ronald van Bollenhoven. And in this episode, I will discuss with you the updated ULAR recommendations for the treatment of severe and refractory SLE. Now, patients sometimes do not respond to our best efforts with uh, anti-malarials, conventional immunosuppressives, or even some of the more recent advances in treatment. Some patients have very severe disease that can be even life-threatening. And so ULAR gives some recommendations about those patients um, in the situation there where we often don't have a lot of double-blinded randomized trials to guide us. We have to go also based on um, knowledge that has been gained over many decades of treating lupus patients. And so what Euler says is for patients in that very bad situation, it is always um, possible to consider cyclophosphamide intravenously. Of course, it's a very clearly proven treatment in some situations such as uh, nephritis, also for other diseases such as vasculitis. But for the patient with very severe lupus, it can sometimes be the, the first uh, real strong immunosuppressive that will be effective. And so it should also always be considered. Um, 
A bit more modern is to consider rituximab. It's not been approved based on randomized trials, but there is a lot of support for it from case series and experience. And it's therefore often used off-label and many professional organizations also recommend it. And that's again, for the patient with very severe disease, refractory disease, having failed a lot of uh, existing other options. Now we're always looking for new things. And one of the exciting new developments is the report that using CAR T cells um, can be effective in patients. It's a report from Erlangen in Germany. It's a very small number of patients, but they did very well. Now CAR T cells, as probably you know, are a big advance in the treatments in hematology for hematological cancers. Um, they can be amazingly effective, but it's a very intensive treatment, very expensive, takes a long time for the patient in the hospital and carries <clears throat> some significant risks. So for lupus, we've seen a few cases with very good results that needs to be investigated further. I know quite a lot of trials are now getting started to investigate it further, and that's very good. And we hope, of course, that it will help in managing these very severe and refractory patients. So overall, I would say that the new 2023 EULA recommendations for the treatment of SLE contain some important new insights, more specific on the use of hydroxychloroquine, more limitations on the use for glucocorticoids, the, the proper use of conventional immunosuppressives, the more expanded use of the biologicals, belimumab and anaphrolumab, and then also some useful guidance on the treatment of the very severe patients as we have just discussed. So thank you very much for watching this episode and this series of programs about the management of SLE. I hope you have found this educational activity useful, interesting, and something that can help you in your clinical practice. Thank you. This has been an activity published by Peer Voice.